Thank you. It's always so weird to me when I come up here and I'm holding the microphone and talking into it because normally I have in-ear monitors in because I'm singing. This is really quiet. <clears throat> so if I'm not loud enough, you got to tell me. But I'm excited this morning. We're going to be talking about one of my favorite Bible stories, a Bible story that's not often talked about. It's not a Bible story that a child runs up to as, Mommy, 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 read me the story of Mephibosheth. That's usually Noah or Abraham or something like that. This is, a, this, is a, this is a story that spoke to me the very first time I've heard it. I've preached on this before, man, maybe, maybe four or five years ago. The first sermon I ever preached was in a big Baptist church. <clears throat> it was in a big Baptist church. And I was nervous, and the microphone broke, and all I had was the gooseneck microphone, so I was stuck at the podium. <laughs> Trial by fire. But that day, the message I thought was on point. It was a message of grace, a message of kindness, a message of love. But as I studied this time, something new was revealed to me, and I'm excited to share that with you. Jamie's playing with the buttons, I think. <clears throat> I want to go ahead and thank Jamie for trusting me with this. I've been, I've been in the biker community for, what now, 10 years, 12 years, a long time. This is my brother Young and my brother Mike. We've been chopping bikes and riding together since, well, a long time. <clears throat> and through him and, and through his brotherhood, he got me closer and more involved in the biker community, and that got us closer and more involved with some ex- Outlaws, some X one percenters, some people that you wouldn't think Christians should be hanging around with, right? But God took us two seemingly wet behind the ears greenhorns and put us right up in the middle of some of the hardest riding, meanest talking, and hardest loving people we've ever met. And thankfully, at this point, we get to call them brothers. And that's one thing that we're going to talk about today is brotherhood. And I hadn't seen the brotherhood in this story until this time around. So we're going to get there in a second. But I want to thank Jamie, like I said, for trusting me with this. He, uh, he actually gave me permission. If I could figure out how to get a Harley up here. And we looked and we searched and there's just not any room. So we're going to be doing some renovations and putting in a straight shot. No, no, hear me out. We're going to be putting in a straight shot, motor, I mean, handicap ramp. So you just wait. Next year, it's on. I also want to thank Alfred and Martha and Highways and Hedges for helping me do this. I've never done something like this. I've always been the guy following the leader. I've always been the guy in the middle of the pack. I've always been the guy saying, okay, where are we going today? God laid it on my heart <clears throat> after a trip to Texas to see some of my brothers that the place that I'm really called to be is right up in the middle of all of it. And I knew that we needed to bring that here. So this is going to be the first of an annual Biker Sunday. And normally, normally, normally a Biker Sunday would be a bike blessing in the spring. And I missed that. And I thought, well, maybe next year we'll move it to the spring. But God spoke to me that we need to keep it towards the fall, towards the end of the season. So we can be talking about it all season and get as many people as we can here. So next year, next September, Biker Sunday, don't forget. How many of you guys 
know about the Wheels Through Time Museum? Anybody familiar with Wheels Through Time? Who's been there? All right. I heard about the Wheels Through Time Museum before I ever looked it up online. <clears throat> I actually went there before I even knew much about it. The thing about the Wheels Through Time Museum is it's kind of tucked and hidden away in a valley, a place called Maggie Valley, and you gotta, you got to ride these twisty roads, and you're riding, where am I going? This is going road to nowhere. I'm going somewhere. But when you get in Maggie Valley, it opens up, and you got this beautiful tourist spot, and then you roll up to this amazing museum. Oh, trust me, I'm going somewhere with this. You roll up to this amazing museum that's hidden back away from the road, you actually have to cross a little creek to get to it. And when you cross that little bridge that goes over to the creek, it opens up and you see this monster building that's got hundreds of vintage motorcycles that all start and run. The first time we went there, the fellow that owned the place was still alive, and he was running around, taking all of his graybeards around, showing us everything he could and starting everything we asked him to start. Way back in the corner was like this corner that was looking kind of looked like late 60s, 70s. And in that corner was a 62 panhead. And what looked to be a chopped Paco frame that was modified and raked out a little bit, and it was painted purple, and it had flames on the tank, and it had a white Mustang seat. Not only was, is, is Wheels Through Time a hidden gem, but that is my dream motorcycle. And one day when I get to heaven and I walk up to Jesus, he's going to be on his knuckle and I'm going to be on that panhead. <laughs> Amen. But that bike in that building is a hidden gem. To me, it's a hidden gem. Just like the story of Mephibosheth is a hidden gem. So Mephibosheth, that's kind of a whole, a whole lot to say. The first time I preached about Mephibosheth, I kind of got my tongue tied a few times and I almost said something really bad. So <clears throat> there may be times where I just call him meth. I'm going to try to get through Mephibosheth. Pray for me as we do this. That's a lot of, a lot of Mephibosheth. But Mephibosheth, <clears throat> that name, you'll hear a lot of people preach. That name actually in the Hebrew roughly translates to out of the mouth of shame. Mephibosheth, out of the mouth of shame. Mephibosheth also has some conditions that alienate him, that make him want to be away from people, but also make people want him to be away from them. We're going to talk more about that in a little bit. We're also going to break down the name a little bit more, and I'm going to show you something pretty cool. See, there's this thing in the Old Testament called types and shadows. Types and shadows are these pictures of Jesus well before Jesus ever shows up. We're going to see a beautiful type and shadow here. <clears throat> We're also going to be sharing a story of grace. Well, there goes that. Grace, <clears throat> in my opinion, is the best description of the Christian walk. I don't deserve it. There's nothing I can do to earn it. It's freely given to me. All I have to do is trust in it and accept it. Just like great, a picture of grace is like the story in Luke when the shepherd leaves the 99 and rushes to the one because the one's in danger. God's grace sends him running after us every time, doesn't he? Come on. <clears throat> and that's just, that's just one of the many stories of grace in the New Testament. But we're going to be hanging out in the Old Testament today, hanging out in 2 Samuel. So let's set up the scene a little bit here. 
Um, <clears throat> I'm taking a little bit different path than I've spoken about this before because I've got a bunch of new idea, not, not ideas, and not a bunch of new revelations. So this is going to be fun. Hang on. We're in 2 Samuel. At this point, David is king. <clears throat> David has uh, reached the fulfilled prophecy and anointing of king in his life. The kingdom is good. He's a very influential king. He's very successful. He's at the height of the kingdom. Later on, it'll start to fall. If you read further, Israel had expanded nearly tenfold, I believe. Things were really good. And at this time, David asks, is there anyone left of Saul's house? Now, you may wonder why he would ask that. And see, in that time, it wasn't uncommon for a king and a new regime to say, who's left over from the past regime? Let's go get them, kill them, and make sure there's no attempt to overthrow the throne. So this is a normal question. But David's not asking that question in a normal way. <clears throat> Second Samuel verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. Now David said, is there still anyone who, was, who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? So remember Jonathan, we'll get to him in a minute. But we want to take the word kindness here and break it down a little bit. I want to explain a little bit about that word kindness. See, in Hebrew... Uh, Hebrew words translate simply to English, but if we look back at the Hebrew, we can get a whole chunk of more meaning. If we go exegetically back and we tear it apart, we can learn a couple of things. In Hebrew, kindness is chesed, and I can't do the Hebrew thing very well, so we're just going to call it chesed with a K, but it's chesed. It translates literally as loving kindness. But it goes a little bit deeper. It's described as God's loving, steadfast, committed loving kindness. Here's a further explanation, kind of an example of chesed. <clears throat> God blesses his people in the beginning, right? God blesses his people. He brings us to earth to walk in communion with him. He blesses them. But what do they do? They turn their back on him. What do we do? We want to turn our back on him. But... God's cassette, his loving kindness, his committed steadfast kindness never turns away. He chases after us. He says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to let you run away from me. I'm not going to stop tapping on your shoulder. I'm going to be a four-year-old and I'm going to annoy you all the way down the road. I'm going to be like you're low on oil and your valves are ticking Put some oil in me. <clears throat> God attempts over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament, and ultimately a big time at the resurrection, to show us chesed, to show us loving kindness, to show us his love. <clears throat> so David is looking for Mephibosheth to show him chesed, to show him loving kindness. So who is Jonathan? Jonathan is the grandson, I'm sorry, Jonathan is the son of Saul, okay? Mephibosheth is the grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan. Jonathan is David's best friend. We'll go a step further and say Jonathan is David's brother. They were in war together. They fought battles side by side. They killed people. They, they, they were, went through everything through thick and thin, Keep that in mind. 
Jonathan and David were basically brothers. But there comes a point here in the story where Saul has lost his mind. Saul has turned himself from God and lost his mind. Now, isn't that, doesn't that sound familiar? When we turn away, what happens? We start to kind of lose our mind. We start to go a little crazy. We start to speak things into our life that aren't life. We start to speak things into our life that might be death. <clears throat> he gets so crazy, he gets really worried about David becoming king because he knows there's the anointing on him. He knows there's that prophecy, so he tries to kill David. He wants to kill David. So Jonathan, being the brother that he is, he does what a brother does. He goes to him and he says, hey man, my dad's going to kill you. So let's read the scripture there. 1 Samuel 20, 13 through 15. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. And the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. So he's telling him, if, it's going to make my dad happy if I kill you. But I'm not going to. I want you to be safe. I want you to go in safety. And I want God to be with you like God was with my dad when dad was turned toward him. For, verse 14. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord, the kased of the Lord, the steadfast love of the Lord while I'm still alive, that I may not die. But you shall not cut off your kased, your loving kindness, from my house forever. So he's asking him, don't ever... Please don't ever, brother, stop loving my family. He's saying, if something happens to me, take care of my family. Not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So David agrees to this covenant promise, this promise of promises, this promise in brotherhood because of their relationship, because of that brotherhood that they'd built. He makes the promise to him. <clears throat> So let's remind ourselves here, David's on the throne now. Some amazing things are going, going the kingdom's kicking butt, <clears throat> for lack of a better explanation. Jonathan and Saul have been killed in battle. We'll get to that a little bit further once we get further into Mephibosheth. We're still setting up the scene here. So David's looking for somebody left of the house of Saul. He wants to show love to somebody that's related to Jonathan. He wants to take care of Jonathan's family through the covenant promise that he makes him. So he sends for anybody that's left. And there's a servant named Ziba that's left of Saul's house. 2 Samuel 9, 2-3. And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, yeah, at your service. The king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So why is that important? He says, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. He just doesn't say, there's still, the, there's still a son of Jonathan. Jonathan's son's alive. He says, Jonathan's son's alive, but he's lame. He's crippled in his feet. Why does he go that step further? Is he saying that he's not good enough? No, king, you wouldn't want this man. He's lame. He's crippled. He's not good enough. Right? <clears throat> going further, 
We're going to talk about how it happened, what happened to Mephibosheth, what made him lame and crippled in his feet. We go back in 2 Samuel, we go to 2 Samuel 4.4, we see that he's five years old. Uh, His nurse gets news from Jezreel that that, uh, Saul and Jonathan are killed in battle. They're dead. So like we talked about earlier, during a regime change, bad things happen. As soon as, as soon as people know the king's dead, they want to get out of there because the new, the new regime is going to come in and everybody left of the old house is going to get killed. So all the nurse can think to do is protect Mephibosheth, five years old, picks him up and takes off. Jonathan, Saul's son, who had a son who was lame in his feet. There we go again, lame in his feet. We're going to hear this over and over again. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled, and it happened. As she made haste to flee, that he fell fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. So two times in there we find out, again spoken, lame, crippled. She flees with him because, like I said, during times of regime changes, it was not a good thing. She's fleeing to protect him. He's lame, he can't walk, and he was named Shane. This is the one relative left, the one person left that David can show chesed to, that David can show loving kindness to, that David can show a promise to. But what happens next is absolutely beautiful. It's the most beautiful part of the story. David doesn't ask, well, how crippled is he? Just how lame is he? Is he he too lame for me to use him? Is he too messed up that that I don't want him? No, David looks right through. He is lame in his feet. He looks right through the issue. He looks right through the crippling and just says, where is he? Bring him to me. <clears throat> we got a lot of scripture to read here, but we're getting to a point, so trust me. Second Samuel nine verses, chapter nine verses four through eight. So the king said to him, "Where is he?" And Ziba said to the king, "Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar." The king David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And then David said, Mephibosheth, is that you? And he answered, here is your servant. Mephibosheth is about to receive the grace that he is because of what his father did for him. Nah, you didn't hear me. Let me say that again. Mephibosheth is about to receive grace because of what his father did for him. Come on, one more time. Mephibosheth is about to receive the promise, the love, the chesed, the restoration because of what his daddy did for him. Verse 7, so David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And we will restore you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and he said, what is your servant? that you should look upon such a dead dog. So let's tear that apart a little bit. So where is he? I'm asking again, where is he? He's in Lodabar. And if you take Lodabar and you look at the translation of it, it means no pasture, God-forsaken, barren, dry. Cattle can't graze there. 
There's no point to be there. It's a place where people can't be found purely because people don't want to go there. This is a place where Mephibosheth can hide in confidence that the new king, the new kingdom, the new regime won't go looking for him there because what's the purpose? Isn't it funny how sometimes we will definitely run to a place and hide knowing that God won't come to us there? Like you were talking about just up here a minute ago. That we would run to a clubhouse and hide thinking God would never show up there. Well, I got news for you. They're sinning, Martha. So it's a God-forsaken place. It's dirty, it's bare, and it's nasty. It's kind of like some of the people in Charleston that go live at the river under the bridge. They don't want to be found. They don't want anybody to come help them, right? That was Mephibosheth. He knew his name meant shame. He was crippled and lame in his feet. His whole kingdom, his whole family, his whole house is gone and dead, so what's the point? He's worthless in his mind. This is why he bows down to David and says, I am your servant. He was scared. He was scared because the king had sent for him. So what's the natural thought? The king's going to kill me. I'm the rightful heir to the throne, and they've come for me, and they found me. So he's scared. But this is also why David says, do not fear, because he knew he was scared. So imagine what this is like. Imagine what happens next. Imagine that you hear, I'm going to fully restore you. I'm going to fully restore to you everything that was your grandfather's, everything that was your king's. All the land of Saul is now yours. I'm going to fully restore to you everything that you've lost. I'm going to fully restore to you everything that you didn't even know you had. I'm going to not only restore that to you, but I'm going to let you eat at my table with me. And see, back then, in that time, it was an honor to be asked to sit at somebody's table. It was an even bigger honor to be asked to sit at the king's table, the place of influence, the place of affluence, the place of cassette, right? He's getting all this. Again, I'm going to say it one more time. He's getting all this because of what his father did for him. But Mephibosheth's response is really important here. What is your servant that you should look upon such as a dead dog as I? Now dogs, who, who, how many people here are dog people? All right, come on. How many people like cats? I'm praying for you. There's something. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to have a prayer after service for that. Now we look as dogs, as pets, as family members. I do. My two dogs are my kids. They're very important to me. When they hurt, I hurt. Back then, not so much. They were pests. They were nuisances. They didn't want them around. So when somebody says, you know, I was reading, actually, it was pleasing to them back then to see a dog dead on the side of the road. So Mephibosheth says, I'm just a dead dog, man. I'm not good enough for what you're about to give me. I don't deserve this. I'm crippled and lame in my feet. I'm just a dead dog. How many times have you said that to God? I'm not good enough. How many times were you running and hiding in Lodabar because you weren't good enough? How many times did you let a lie spoken into your life 
through a name placed on you, turn your way. So 2 Samuel 9, 13, as we start to somewhat wrap this up. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table. But here we go again. And he was lame in both his feet. So why do we keep hearing this and reading this? This is the best part. Why do we keep hearing over and over, he's crippled, he's lame in his feet? Because that's the point. We're painting a picture here. He was crippled, lame, not worthy, and fully restored. Let's tear the name down a little bit further. And this is where I got the revelation that changed this story for me. If we take Mephibosheth and we break it down in the Hebrew, it's pa'ah-bosheth. And that's two words put together. Pa'ah means to shatter, to scatter into the corners, to dispel. And Bosheth means shame and confusion. So we can see how we could translate this as shameful, as out of the mouth of shame. But what spoke to me was the word dispel. And to me, Mephibosheth translates as dispeller of shame, scattering to all the four corners of the earth shame. We see that Mephibosheth was actually a type and a shadow Did you hear me? He was a type and a shadow. He was a preeminent, come on, he was a picture of Jesus. He was a picture of what Jesus would do to give us said. He was a picture of what Jesus would do to show us loving kindness. He was a picture of the restoration that Jesus wants to give us in our lives. He was a picture of what was to come. And this is the best part. As I start to really tie this together, they tell us at the end of that scripture, again, he dwelt in Jerusalem. He ate continually at the king's table, for he was lame in both his feet. Right? What happens when you sit at a table? When we, when we have a seat at the king's table, our lameness is covered. When we have a seat at the table, our addiction is covered. When we have a seat at the table, our heartache, our brokenness, our sin is covered. When we have a seat at the table, everything that's a flaw in us is now covered by the cassette, the loving kindness, committed kindness, love of the Father. Come on. When you have a seat at the table, you're served dinner of grace. You're served bread of grace. You're served drink of mercy. And you get love and kindness for dessert. If we look at the Bible from start to finish, I'm going to ask it this way. Hold on a second. Other than Jesus, who can tell me who was perfect in the Bible? And God doesn't count. I'm sorry, who can tell me? Zero. Abraham was a liar. Noah was an alcoholic. Job doubted God several times. Samson was promiscuous. David was a hoe and a murderer. 
Come on. And a murderer, and an adulterer, and a coveter. Elijah was suicidal. Peter embarrassed to admit that he knew Jesus. And I, I can only see Peter as an outlaw. I'm sorry. He was a punk, and I love him. Rahab was a prostitute. The disciples were weak, often jealous of each other, and they even fell asleep on Jesus the night they took him. Jesus asked them to do one thing, and they failed. The Samaritan woman couldn't even keep a husband, and Moses had anxiety and stuttered. So think about it like this. Think about being asked to sit at the king's table and you see Absalom, David's son, tall, a warrior, long hair, looks like Jason Momoa, right? Comes in and sits at the table. See David's daughter, beautiful woman, comes in and sits at the table. You see three or four of David's warriors walk in with their armor, they lay down their swords, big monstrous men, and they sit at the table. Come, coming down the hallways, David whistling a tune and strumming his ukulele. And he sits at the table. And then you hear a couple pair of crutches walking up to the table. <clears throat> Somebody who looks completely different, completely unworthy, completely doesn't fit the puzzle piece. A square peg going in the round hole has a seat at the king's table. But take it a step further and think about being invited to God's dinner party. I used to, when I used to play and tour and play music, I used to sing this song called Martyr's Lounge. <clears throat> I'm not going to sing it because I'd get in trouble online. But it was, it's a song about <clears throat> all the martyrs, all these big music, I don't even remember all the characters that are in it, but it's all famous people that are all hanging out. Jimi Hendrix was there, uh, Dave, John Lennon, all these people hanging out in heaven, right, at Martyr's Lounge, the bar up in heaven. That was actually part of the lyrics. But think about being invited to God's dinner party, and you walk in, and, well, there's Noah, and Abraham, and Rahab, and Samson, and all these what we think and what we normally let the Bible paint as a perfect picture in my mind because we don't necessarily inherently look at their flaws. But then there's you. But then you're standing next to the perfect one. You're standing next to Jesus and his knucklehead. Right? So my question is, what's so bad that you've done that God won't use you? You guys can come up and start getting ready. <clears throat> What's so bad that you've done that you think God doesn't want to have a part in your life? <clears throat> What's so bad that you think God has turned his back on you? As we see from the list that I read, from the characters that I spoke of, there's nothing too bad to keep God's cassette, to keep God's loving kindness, to keep God's heart away from you. David was an adulterer, a murderer, and he was spoken by God to be the man after God's own heart. <clears throat> 
So as they prepare to sing this song, the altar's open and we'll be up here ready to pray with you. Alfred, would you join me up here too? If there's something on your heart, something that you feel lost about, if you, if you don't know him online, if you, if, you, if you need us to pray with you, reach out. We'll call you. Reach out to Jennifer Mears. I think she puts her number on there. And we'll pray with you today. God wants to give you his loving kindness. God wants to give you his cassette love. God wants to give you his committed promise that he's never going to turn his back on you, that he's going to be leaving the 99 to always come after the one. So as they sing this song, if you have anything on your heart that's troubling you, anything that's bothering you, anything that you want to pray about, if you feel like you've kind of lost turned your back a little bit, come on up. Let's talk about it and pray about it. We came to talk about motorcycles and Jesus today. The most important part is talking about your relationship with Jesus. The most important part is talking about the gift that he gave you. The most important gift you could ever have in your life. So if you want that today, if you want to know more about that today, you just feel like you want to start over today, and come on up.